All right. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 5 through 23. And the message is entitled, The Mission of the Twelve. Being a Christian in America has prevented us from uh, experiencing persecution. The rest of the church has experienced it throughout the church age, some more than others. But somehow, for whatever reason, God has allowed this. I don't know if it's good or it's bad. I'm in no um, hurry to be persecuted or to suffer, yet I understand that that's not the nature of the church, what we have experienced. The gospel is not viewed very highly by the majority of the world, even to the present day. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You know where you were before Christ. You know what God has done in your life. You know that whatever has happened from that point on, it's only the grace of God that has allowed you to be what you are. Not yourself. Otherwise, you would have been there before you came to Christ. It's real simple. So in view of that, let's look at the commitment of the 12 here, or the commission of the 12 apostles by Jesus to the harvest among the people of God, the Jews here, beginning verse 5. Let me read for us. Verse 5 on down. It says, These are 12, Jesus sent out, and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, heal the leper, uh, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give, provide neither gold or silver or copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics or sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it worthy and stay there till you go out. And when you go into the house, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace be upon it. If, but if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, take off or shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpent and harmless as doves. Be, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to counsel and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father his child, and children will raise uh, up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved when they persecute you in the city. Flee to another, for surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The commission of the twelve by Jesus to the harvest, focusing on the people of God Israel, is characterized by the following. First, we have the instruction regarding their mission in verse 5 through 10. 
Then the instruction regarding their reception in verse 11 through 15. And finally, the instruction regarding their persecution in verse 16 through 23. He begins with the instruction regarding their mission, 5 through 10. Notice in verse 5 through 7, the mission was confined to the Jews. The commission of Jesus is in direct relationship to the harvest of souls. He has just told them to pray that the Lord would send laborers. So now Jesus sends them out to the harvest. It looks back to chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. A better division for the chapter would be verse 35 being the first verse of this chapter. Chapter division is not inspired by the Spirit of God. There's just the divisions are made in natural divisions. Sometimes they're missed by a little bit. Majority of them are all pretty good. Now, Jesus named and sent them out two by twos. You have the record here from verse 1 through 4. You also have it in Mark 6 through 7 uh, through 13 and Luke 9, 1 through 6. Um, the lists change in order, but there's always Peter's first, Judas's last. They're in groups of fours. It's interesting if you were with us in our series on the 12 apostles, we went through all that. Now, you know, Jesus also sends 72 by twos in Luke 10, uh, chapter 10. And the 12 are disciples, notice, and apostles uh, named in pairs here in the first four verses. A disciple is a pupil, a learner. We are to learn and study the word of God so we can understand God's revelation. An apostle means one sent out as an ambassador of God, one who's representing God. Jesus gave the 12 a direct command to go out here. The word commanded means an order or a charge, an imperative command here. It is used in various ways for a general giving orders to his soldiers, for a friend who calls for help, or a teacher who is giving principles to his students. All of these apply to the apostles here that were first disciples. Now notice the particular command excluded those who were not Jews. He says, do not go into the way of the Gentiles and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. The Gentiles were all the people of the nations apart from Israel. They were the pagans. They were the ones who did not know God, didn't have the word of God. They worshiped God after their own manner. This was a temporary exclusion in this mission that Jesus gives them. They would reach out to uh, the Gentiles later on. In fact, Jesus has already reached out to the centurion and to others. He will reach out to the Samaritan woman also up in Samaria. Uh, the Gentiles, again, through the Great Commission in Matthew 28, at the end there, uh, to reach the whole world, all nations, and uh, also Mark 22. Now, the Samaritans, the second group, and as you know, they were despised as a mixed race through the Assyrian captivity, 722 B.C., uh, Assyria took them captives and they would practice a cross-population uh, uh, practice where they would take people like from Pasadena and put them up in, in uh, San Bernardino, take San Bernardino, put them up in Kern County, and they would isolate and separate families in, to diminish their, their hope of escape or freedom, and they would just forget their people, religion, and marry somebody else, assimilate, and they would be assimilated to other nations. Very effective, by the way. These were half Jews, half Gentile, Samaritans. They despised them. They thought that God created them just simply for the, to kindle the fires of hell like the Gentiles. Now, 
Jesus was giving the title, the Savior of the world, not in Jerusalem, but in Samaria. Amazing. The um, parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus puts his finger right in the eye of the Jews. They look down upon them. Now notice the command includes only the Jews, but go round to the house of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the contrast is clear by the word, but here, and is accompanied with another imperative command. Go. There is no option here. This is a command from Jesus Christ to go. They've been taught, disciple, now. Jesus taught them, showed them. Now he says, you go do it. Three simple steps. Now notice their identity to the house of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They're not better than the Gentiles. They just have a priority over the Gentile at this point. Okay? Jesus confined the priority of time, the importance to the Jew in terms of time, because the Messiah was promised to the Jew. Paul says in Romans 1.16, to the Jew first, then to the Greek or Gentile. But in priority of time, that doesn't apply today. We are not to go to the Jew first today. At the end of Acts, Paul shakes the dust off his feet. He says, because you have hardened your heart to the Jew, he goes to the Gentile, okay? So we don't exclude anybody, but this is particular for this period of time, and the priority is in terms of time because the Messiah was given to the Jews. Now, the imagery of sheep and the people of God here, and God being the shepherd, is permeated throughout the scriptures, as you know. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6, Ezekiel 34, 2 and 30. And also Jesus says in Matthew 15, 24, that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Same words. Verse 5 and 6 here is unique of Matthew. It's not found in any of the synoptic gospel, Mark or Luke. Only here. Now notice verse 7. The command was to evangelize the Jew. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The method as they went was to preach. The word is caruso. As you know, uh, it's used for a herald. Uh, the state, kings, or whoever was in charge would hire these individuals to make proclamations. The message was not theirs. It was given to them. The authority was not there. It was vested to them. They were not responsible for the people's response, only for the accurate proclamation. This is exactly your responsibility and mine. It is not our message has been given to us. It's not our authority has been vested to us. We are not responsible for people's response, but we are responsible for the clear communication of the gospel. Very, very important. The message was clear. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was the message of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, in chapter 3, verse 2. It was the message of Jesus in chapter 4, verse 17. Now it's the message of the 12 disciples, now apostles, being sent out to the Jews. The messianic hope was the long prophesied hope of Israel that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. The kingdom of heaven would be established ultimately when Jesus comes in the second coming, those who respond enter the kingdom of God through repentance. Now notice in verse 8 through 10, the mission was accompanied with divine enablement. Their delegated authority was not their own, as we said, but given to them. 
to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, and cast out demons. These are four imperative commands in the present tense, durative, continuous. As they went out, that ability and empowerment was in their possession. By the way, they went out by twos, right? That means Judas Iscariot was one of the two. Think about it. To those that much is given, much more is required. The reason and purpose here, notice, is behind the imperative commands is given. Freely you have received, freely give. Because you and I have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then we also have experienced clearly what it is to be lost and the privilege of being saved, the compassion of God, and how none of us deserve it, but God has given it to us freely, and that we might remember that, that we would exclude no one, any door that God would open up for us to present Christ Jesus, that we would jump at the opportunity lovingly. Notice in verse 9 and 10, their provisions were limited to needs in view of the urgency of the mission. No money was to be taken. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belt. The money belt was a girdle that was used to put money in, or sometimes you would bind your garment within that um, girdle or sash. No bag for the journey to be carried. Now, this was for extra clothes. Two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. Staffs were for defense and for walking. And so... That the bag here could also be used for begging, but certainly that's not the idea here, though it's used in other places like that. Um, once again, as light as possible, it's an urgent mission, and here the reason is given for such minimal provisions, for a worker is worthy of his food. The preachers of the gospel, Jesus is saying, were deserving and receiving the basic needs. He is not saying they're to be wealthy. He is not saying they are to beg, but that they are worthy of it. They were to trust Jesus Christ implicitly and to travel as light as possible, knowing their mission. So this doesn't speak against work or being irresponsible or even abusive. And that's one of the things that happens often in the church, where people become um, greedy, or, or pastors become indifferent. You know, one of the things that with Pastor Chuck, that was he was so faithful, even in his old age, he, if you've gone through any of his series, through the Bible, through the years, or any of his messages, he was always consistent, and he always warned all of us about those who were merchandising the people of God, those who are always begging on their programs and their churches all the time for money. And Chuck never did that. And yet many of those who pastored under him do exactly that today as Calvary chapels. Chuck, to the very last sermon, he remained consistent as a servant of God. And therefore God blessed the work that he did. All together. It's amazing to me. You remember the 70. When they were sent out. They returned saying Lord. 
Even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus responded, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in the book of life, Luke 10, 17, and 20. All that God does, ladies and gentlemen, it is he who does it. Do not take glory. Do not, do not get caught up with yourself. Pastors and evangelists especially forget this and they start believing their press. They think somehow they are special and that God is doing this because they're so great. No, they're great sinners. Do not touch the glory of God. Get completely away from it. And then wrap your arms around His holiness. Two extreme opposites. Very important. The mission of every believer in view of the harvest is the whole world. There is no limitation upon who we reach or who we're not to reach. We're to reach the whole world. All of them are saved by grace. All of them are separated by sin and trespass in which all people are dead. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. You and I used to be there. The gospel makes Jew and Gentile one in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our peace. He has broken down that middle wall of partition as Ephesians 2.14 says. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18-20. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's a participle. In your going. There was never any doubt of going. As you go, in your going. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen. That is your marching orders and mine, ladies and gentlemen. All of us. The enabling to witness is by the grace of God, as you know. Uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring illumination to the sinner who is listening to the gospel. That conviction might come that they might repent and be saved. And this is done by trusting Jesus Christ completely, communicating to them their uh, confidence in the atoning work of Jesus Christ for their justifications, as Romans 5, 1 and 2 says. They're being bankrupt to merit salvation. And through the imparting of the divine nature when they repent, then now they're able to live the life of Christ as First Peter or Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 says. You have experienced that. I have experienced that. So when we minister the gospel and we see somebody accept Christ, you are experiencing the greatest miracle in the world. And then as time runs, you will either affirm that they truly repented or that they not by the way they are living. It's real simple. The challenge for the church in every generation is to obey and depend totally on Jesus for what he wants to do. Pastors and churches get caught up with their own little kingdom. They start well at times, but they deviate. That is the hardest thing for pastors and churches. You must stay on track with what God has called you to accomplish, not what somebody else is doing. Very important. To proclaim the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, to pray for people to be healed as God wills, and we've seen some of that. But that's not all that ministry is. But we certainly want to give God an opportunity to move in the midst of us, decent and in order, and to depend upon God to provide all the things that He wants to do. Therefore, we do not put an emphasis upon the offering or the giving. We don't beg you. We don't prod you. I don't tell you sad stories. 
In the 37 years, there's probably about eight messages on giving as we go through the scriptures. That's it. We're not caught up with that. God will take care of us. Very, very important. And so God provides and supplies our needs as he sees fit. Luke 10, 17 and 1 Timothy 5, 18 uh, confirms this over and over again. So the instructions regarding their missions were clear. Real simple, straight to the point. Notice secondly, verse 11 through 15, the instructions regarding their reception now. In 11 and 12, the proper gracious attitude at their arrival at different locations is given to us. Uh, in verse 11, at each city or town, the apostles were to look for people receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to the words. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is in it is worthy and stay there till you go out. The word worthy means having uh, equal weight of another. The idea being that if there's a good response, then it's appropriate to the good news that is given to them or, or vice versa. Um, once again, the Jews are the ones who are the audience here. The imperative to stay here is an heiress. They were to remain content there till they left and not go from house to house seeking better accommodations. You know, when um, Calvary Chapels uh, first started and the Maranatha Music Ministry first began, you know, all the kids, they just, you know, we were all in our teens and young uh, early 20s, and people were talented, and they just worshiped the Lord, and bands started putting together. Then after a while, they got a little refined, got their managers, and they sent out letters, well, we need a certain type of food if we come. We need so much money. Really? Wow. It doesn't take long, does it? Not at all. It's amazing to me. I don't know why God bothers with us. Verse 12, at each house they entered, they were to greet it. The word greet means to bid them well, lovingly, respectfully, humbly, truly desiring the best for them. This is an impaired heiress again, the middle voice. The apostles were to do this honestly, once and for all, as they entered in towards them. Now notice, when you get to verse 13 through 15, you have the proper response to those being confronted with the gospel. At each house receptive to the apostles, there was to be a blessing, as we said. If that household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. The word worthy, again, equal in weight or in value. The people had an open heart to the gospel, then they were to respond in a good way towards them because they have responded towards the good news. Now, some people may say, well, that's not very loving. Well, Listen, you as a parent, when your child doesn't respond the proper way, do you applaud him? Do you give him 10 bucks? Or do you correct him? Love corrects. Because consequences are severe. Simple. They embrace rather than reject it right here. The apostles then were told, let your peace come upon it word peace, Irene, we get the word, um, I, the name Irene from it, it means something previously broken out, put together. 
um, having repented, they accepted Jesus Christ. They have peace with God. And now they have the peace of God for their life situations, just as you and I have. Prior to Christ, we handled life and situations on our own, and we usually got in more trouble than we began with. Uh, we weren't the wisest. Notice at each house in verse 13, that was not receptive, they were to not bless. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. The contrast now, not worthy, not of equal value. What you're proclaiming is the greatest news that man has ever received and its source is heaven. And when you're responding as rejection or insult to it, that's not equal value. The balances are not equal. The people did not have an open heart responding in a bad way to the good news. The people in rejecting the good news of the gospel were rejecting Jesus Christ. The gospel and Jesus are one. It's real simple. Now notice the apostles were told, let your peace return to you. So the household had not made peace with God, rejecting their sanctification by Jesus, having no access now to the peace of God for life by their own choice. The context of this chapter is for the days of Jesus. But the principles apply to the church age completely as we go through them here. Notice in verse 14, the person or city now welcoming them or refusing to hear the gospel were to be reprimanded. Once again, love confronts. Love tries to correct impartially. Listen, and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, whosoever, male, female, bond, or free, made no difference, or young person. It's focused on the Jew, but on every level. You see, this morning, your economic standings are irrelevant. Uh, your nationality is irrelevant. Um, the only identity that the Bible gives to you this morning is male and female. That's it. Everything else is not your identity. Male and female is your biblical identity. And as you hear the gospel, if you don't know Jesus Christ, God will judge you on your decision of your own free will. Because the common denominator that we all fit into is sinners, male and female, Jew and Gentile. Wow. Notice at their leaving... This would be proclaimed. When you depart from the house or city, there was to be no hesitation. There was to be no compromise. It's easy to become um, hesitant to do things like that or even compromising, particularly if, we, if the person is a family member or a close friend. We, we don't want to say nothing. And we're really betraying our love for them. We have to be careful how we do it, but we are to do it. Very important. Notice it's to be done demonstrably. Shake off the dust from your feet. This was a symbol of contempt, uh, of contempt by the Jew. Uh, 
when they would travel and they would go from Jerusalem up to the Galilee area. They would go either across the Jordan, up the east of King's Highway, or by the Via Madis up the coast. And when they came back into Jewish ground, then they would shake the dust off their clothes and everything just in case they got some of that Gentile cooties to bring it in, okay? This is the imagery that he's talking about here, okay? Very demonstrative, and the Jew understood it. This signified that they had rejected the gospel, unwelcomed the apostles, and rejected the high privilege of hearing the gospel from heaven, excluding themselves from the kingdom of God. Whoa. God does not exclude anybody from the kingdom of God. Each person excludes themselves by rejecting the high privilege of the gospel. Notice in 15, the city rejecting the gospel would be under the severe judgment of God. The authority behind the proclamation of judgment is Jesus. Listen, assuredly, I say to you, the word assuredly remembers amen. When it's put in the beginning of a sentence, it means what I'm going to say is of most important value. It's reliable and it's divinely authoritative. Pay attention to it. When the same word is put at the end of the sentence, it just simply means what I said, so be it. Affirming it. It's at the beginning here. Each section of this chapter closes with the statement, verily, verily, or assuredly. Verse 15, verse 23, verse 42. Full authority of God. Now notice, the judgment over such a city by Jesus would be worse than over one of the most perverted cities of the Old Testament that was judged. Listen to the words. It would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. There will be various degrees of punishment in the lake of fire. Just as there will be degrees of reward in heaven. There's the same thing. Same level, punishment or reward. God will reward you according to the works. God will, will punish according to the evil. If we go to court and there's a person who stole a candy and someone who stole a car and someone who stole a million dollars and the judge judges them all and he gives them all one day of detention, you'd be kind of going crazy, wouldn't you? In your mind, you already know. You don't know exactly what you're going to get, but you know that the, each one's going to get a more severe punishment, right? If we're evil and know the different levels of punishment according to the consequence and the crime, how much more in heaven? God is absolutely just and holy. All right? Very important. He will declare the same thing to Capernaum and other cities as you move on in chapter 11 of Matthew. Now... Through the years that I've come to the Lord since 1973, I, I always made it a, a, an issue to minister to some of my friends that I knew that were close to me and all that. And I would visit them at times. And um, there was a friend who was just two friends who were caught up in drugs severely. And the one would always call me, well, not really him, but his daughters would when he was in an emergency and almost dying. I would go and I, I ministered to him and... Um, the last time I saw him, his uh, daughters called me up, and I walked into the hospital room. And as I walked in, he died one of the most horrible deaths I've ever seen as he just started gushing forth blood from every orifice of his body. 
opportunity after opportunity, rejected. The other one, I visited his mom constantly every year at Christmas, different times, and asked about him, and I talked to him sometimes. And then she died, and I did her funeral, and, uh, and God saved him. And he is walking with the Lord and serving the Lord now. Two people, two different decisions. By the way, it took 40 years of visiting and praying before he got saved, just in case you're discouraged. All right? Very important. Some people will politely listen to you when you share the gospel, but not believe or repent of their sins. Some will be good moral people. Others will be highly educated. Others will not. Others will be middle class, poor, whatever, every level. But all people will not believe and agree with God that they are bankrupt to merit heaven. They believe that they are worthy. They believe that they do, do okay. They, they say, well, you know, I, I think I've done some pretty good things. I'll take my chances. Really? Wow. Listen to uh, Jesus in John three seventeen through 19. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is a condemnation that... The light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Do you agree with that? If you don't, you're an enemy of God. You can't be a believer. It's impossible. Wow. Other people will not be so polite and they will tell you straight up to take a hike. And if you say anything else, they're going to rearrange your face. Um, they're repulsed by the gospel. How dare you tell me that I'm going to hell? How dare you tell me I'm a sinner? They get angry. They have no interest in God, the things of God. They have no interest in stopping or turning from their sinful lifestyles. They have been deceived by sin and Satan, just as you and I were. Paul puts it this way. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-5. If you leave here and come back 10 years from now, you'll find me doing the same thing, preaching the gospel. And teaching the word of God. This is what we have been called to ladies and gentlemen. And because this is not the practice of all pastors and all pulpits. And I say this embarrassing. That's why our nation is in the condition it's in. Because quote quote. Those who call themselves pastors and don't teach the word of God. Are false shepherds. Wow. Wow. Still others will listen and be open, believe, and repent from their sins, some right away. You say, wow, that guy would never come. And you share the Lord, and he says, okay, let me repent. You go, what? You're shocked. Others, it will take many times hearing the gospel. Some in their youth, teens, adults, or old age, 
Some at their deathbed, though I do believe that's the exception. I do believe you will die just like you live. I believe it's the exception. And so, each will make a choice. It's by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself is a gift of God, not a worthless any man should bowl. So everybody gets saved the same way. By the grace of God, through faith, agreeing with God that we are sinners and that only He can justify us before the Father. And so that decision is to every individual. So the instructions here regarding their reception was a sweet and sour. Because when someone rejects it, it's heartbreaking. Don't take it personally that they have offended you. They have rejected Jesus Christ. And our heart breaks because they will perish if they don't repent. No Christian should ever be happy when when they see someone reject the gospel. They should walk away praying for them more. Notice thirdly here, the instructions regarding their persecution, verse 60 through 23. Now it becomes a little scary. Everything's good to this point, you know, you're on uncontrolled, you're going and, you know, you're representing the Lord, but all of a sudden now it gets a little dangerous. In verse 16, the general proclamation of the persecution is given. The caution is stated all at once. The word behold indicates the attention of something suddenly, surprisingly. Jesus has just described the warning judgment. The apostles were to reprove those refusing the gospel by shaking the dust off their feet. In verse 14, Jesus is warning them that those who refuse to hear or reject the gospel and are reproved will at times retaliate violently against the messenger. Now, we don't see that so much here in America, though I'm sure it has happened. But all over the world, it's, it's a common thing. The danger was real and described vividly. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. The authority they are being sent out is, is by the authority of Jesus. I send you out. Now, Jesus was not intending to bring harm to the apostles by having them preach the gospel, but warning them in advance that men would try to harm them for preaching the gospel. There is a cost to being identified with Jesus. But he is not asking anything that he is not willing to do. He left heaven to die for us. You and I are born and we will die. Jesus was born to die. There's a big difference. So he's not really asking me to do something he has not done first. So I can follow him. Notice the nature of wolves is one of viciousness. Their interest is only in satisfying their hunger at the expense of the vulnerable sheep. The preaching of the gospel was a costly assignment being sent out. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Anybody who was sent to the cross 
never, never believed they were coming back. Never. Notice the counsel by the proverb to be heeded seems to be a paradox here in 16. Jesus told the apostles, therefore, be wise as serpents. The word wise simply means prudent and sagacious, being alert regarding their safety and the good to their life from these wolves. There is no intention to suggest the apostles to be evil or to have um, any right to harm anybody in retaliation. The serpent is simply an emblem here of being crafty. And the scriptures focus on that very much so. Um, in Genesis 3, 1, it's through the serpent. The fall came. Paul picks it up in 2 Corinthians eleven three that the Corinthians weren't to be deceived as he deceived Eve, very crafty. And so it's only focusing upon the uh, sagaciousness and craftiness of the serpent. But Jesus also said, notice, in harmful as doves, a paradox, seeming contradiction. The word harmless means unmixed, pure, sincere, without fault. In other words, not to retaliate in kind. Wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Not vicious. They're kind of a stupid bird, really. I mean, you can walk, walk up and grab them. You know what I mean? If you're throwing rocks, they just kind of stay there and look at you. You know what I mean? Uh, first time the doves are mentioned is in Noah when he picked it up and let it out so it can find some land in Genesis chapter 8. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove in Matthew 3.18. Jesus says, I am meek and lowly, gentle. Come unto me, all you the heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Notice in 17 and 18, the specific proclamation of persecution comes now. The apostles would be delivered up by the people of their own nation, the Jews, in 17. Jesus identifies the wolves, but beware of men. The warning is clear. The word but marks a sharp contrast with being harmless as does, yet maintaining vigilance for safety. The word beware simply means to attend to oneself, to pay heed, to be cautious regarding men who are wolves here. And the tense is the imperative present active constantly because we live in an evil world. Men are evil. Women are evil. Those of you young people who are in universities, your anthropology classes, all of that, and psychology, they'll tell you man is good. Finish the sentence. Good for nothing. Okay. Our heart is evil, desperately wicked, Jeremiah 79. Notice Jesus told the apostles these men would accuse them falsely for they will deliver you up to the councils. The word council there indicates the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews. We see them in Acts 5.27, 6.12. The word deliver simply means to turn over to these courts to be judged, accused falsely and to be dealt with. Notice Jesus told the apostles they would be punished in the synagogues. He's dealing directly with the Jews. The place of formal gathering of the Jew for prayer and for the study of God's word, the synagogue. They would be scourged, whipped. 
being corrected, disciplined, as Jesus was in Matthew 27, 26, and Mark 14, 15. Paul was beaten with rods, many stripes, and placed in the stocks in prison with Silas in Philippi. He was also beat five times with 39 stripes. 40 was judgment. 39 minus 1 to 40 was mercy. He was beat with rods. He was stoned to death at Lystra. Acts 16, 22. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25. Amazing. And Paul was a Jew. They hated him more for that. Consider him a traitor for the name of Christ. In fact, when Paul preached, well, we'll get to this right now with the Gentiles in verse 18. The apostle will be brought before Gentile rulers and witnesses, uh, witnesses for Jesus. You will be brought before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So governors were the uh, uh, procreators, the administrators of a province like Felix and Festus. And kings are like King Herod. Uh, you remember in Acts 25 and that when Paul was there. He says, Agrippa, I, 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 I wish all of you all together were as I meaning save, except for these chains. It broke Paul's heart that they were lost. He says, Griffin, I know you believe. He says, Paul, much learning has made you mad. Whoa. Notice the reason they would be accused and tried was for my sake, due to their identification and commitment to Christ and the gospel. Real simple. The purpose of Jesus behind their personal suffering would be used to proclaim the gospel of salvation as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles, just as Jesus reminded them after the resurrection in Acts 1a, you shall be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The Philippians thought that the gospel was through. Paul was in jail. Paul said, what are you doing to break my heart? Listen, I'm here by appointment. By the way, the house of Caesar... The Praetorium Guard says, hi, some of them have been saved. Some are preaching, hoping that hurt to me. I don't care. Some are becoming courageous. I don't care whether they preach, just as long as they preach. What an incredible guy. Amazing. Look at 19 and 20. The need to have complete trust and confidence on Jesus under persecution. The posture of the believers to depend on Jesus for their defense. But when they... Deliver you up. Do not worry what you should speak. The word worry simply means to be anxious, to be troubled. Anxiety is due to depending on ourselves, having confidence in ourselves, or giving in to fear. We're not to be anxious about our defense here in context. God will provide the words. The promise of Jesus for it will be given to you at that hour and what you should speak. Like Joseph before Pharaoh, like Daniel before Nebuchadnezzar, like Peter, like Paul. Like the multitudes of martyrs throughout the church age, God has given them the words. Amazing. The person speaking through us will be the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 20. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of our Father who speaks in you. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, in John 14, 15, and 16, before he was betrayed 
and went to the cross. Study those chapters, very important. The apostles experienced this throughout the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 8, chapter 6, verse 10, 7, 55, 56. Stephen, the words to pray for those who were stoning them. Wow. This text is used by lazy pastors for not needing to study to prepare sermons. They just come up and whatever the Spirit leads, it's more flesh than spirit. There's no such thing. We're to study to show ourselves approved to God. Notice 21 through 23. The closest family members in society would and will persecute a believer. Wow. Verse 21, sibling betrayal. Now brother will deliver up brother to death. The hatred for Jesus will be of such that there will be no loyalty to a bloodline. This is horrific. The most natural love. The extreme hatred is evident knowing that they will be put to death and be committed to that. Parental and child betrayal. And a father, his child, <clears throat> and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Once again, the most natural love of father who begets that child betrays them in the extreme hatred again, evident that they know they're going to be put to death and follow through. Wow. Death being the ultimate persecution. This is an allusion to Micah, chapter 7, verse 5, who warns there of not trusting family members because they would also betray them. Then there's societal betrayal in 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Society takes on an antichrist attitude and spirit here. It happens at times. In America, we've never experienced it, but we just got a little glimpse of it the first eight years of the Obama administration. In fact, he says, we are no longer a Christian nation. And often mock the scriptures in the Bible. Look it up on YouTube. The thing today, everything's on film. It's crazy. For my name's sake, not for my stupidity, the apostles heard Jesus teach them on the Sermon on the Mount, the following chapter 5, 11, and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. So we're in good company. This is the norm. We are not the norm as American church when it comes to persecution. The one persevering to the end would be saved. Notice that. The parable of the sword tells us of two of the... Four that fell away. One never took place. The other three did. Two fell away. The last one produces fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. There have been many in history who have denied Jesus Christ under the threat of death. Once again, we're not to trust ourselves, but Jesus completely. He will be faithful. We are being saved, the Bible says. We have been saved and we shall be saved. A threefold process. Very, very clearly. 
Look at 23. Their final course of safety under persecution. They were to be wise and flee persecution when able. When they persecute you in the city, flee to another. Paul did it in Philippi. He went to Berea and then finally to Corinth in Acts 16 and 17. David fled to Ziklag and acted like a madman, fleeing from Saul. Um, they were to be assured Jesus would join them also at the end. He would end up with them. He says, For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The words of surely, once again, means um, reliable authority, important things that is absolutely reliable here as Jesus is the one stating these things. The most simple sense of this text here regards the mission of the apostles that Jesus would join the apostles as he followed behind them. I believe the answer is given in chapter 11, verse 1, which should really be the last verse of chapter 10. Listen to what it says. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their city. So Jesus was doing the same thing they were doing, coming up behind them, and he would come and meet them again. Now, some have interpreted this verse to mean that it indicates after his resurrection he would come to them, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the judgment of Jerusalem in 70 AD, or the second coming. All of them are out of context. All of them do violence to the context. I reject all of them. I believe chapter 11, verse 1 gives you the answer. He's talking about meeting up with them at the end. Context, context, context. Now, the exact language is used by Jesus for the second coming in Matthew 24, 13 and Luke 13, 13. But the context is tribulation and great tribulations prior to the second coming. So Jesus said many things, the same words, but the context was different. So you must always examine the context. And not simply when you hear the same words, right away jump into the second coming. The context here is the mission that they're on. Very important. If you've never read Fox's Books of Martyrs, or the church in China under Mao's reign, or Jesus Freak of modern-day martyrdom, Get them in the bookstore. Give you a glimpse of how Christians have suffered throughout the church age. It'll humble you. The wolves are not limited to being outside the church, by the way. They are inside the church. Jesus said this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravens and wolves. Matthew seven fifteen, the Sermon on the Mount. Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, and spare, not sparing the flock. The greatest danger is the enemy from within. The greatest danger to our nation today is not Russia. It's not China. It's the enemy from within. That wants to destroy our nation. That wants to make it a third world country. That wants to destroy our constitution. The enemy from within. Notice the understanding of the proverb to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove is fulfilled in many ways. Let me just give you some. 
Romans 16:19 says, Paul says, For your obedience has become known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. We live in a very corrupt and perverted world. And you can corrupt and pervert yourself real fast. Be careful. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, See then that you walk circumspectly, very exact, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Flee youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. 2 Timothy 2.22 Some good advice there for all of us. Our dependency and confidence on the Holy Spirit is a mark of maturity and wisdom regarding persecution. Let me give you some scriptures. I say then, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16 But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Ephesians or Galatians 5.18 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, so on and so forth in Galatians 5.22. If you live in the Spirit, let us, not, let us also walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. Keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit of God, a continuous present in Ephesians 5.18. Walking in the Spirit, fighting in the Spirit. Let me leave you with Peter's words. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Wow. First Peter 4.19 The instructions regarding their persecution was to strengthen them. And so the commission of the twelve apostles by Jesus to the harvest focused on the Jews. The instruction regarding their mission was clear. The instructions regarding the reception was a sweet and sour. And the instruction regarding the persecution was to strengthen them. Do you think these are applicable for us today? Very, very much so, ladies and gentlemen. Don't let them slip through your fingers. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, you would deal with our hearts and cause us to be open to you, Lord. For those who are listening over the radio, even here, Lord, over the internet and the sanctuary, those who don't know you, that they would call on your name and see their need of repentance. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. It is a step of faith, you believing God and the Holy Spirit turning on that light, allowing you to see your need of Christ and that you don't deserve salvation. It's a mere act of grace completely. And if you will call upon his name, he will save you right now. A simple prayer of repentance. You looking to God, accepting the work of Jesus Christ, that he was dying in your place and that he is the only one that can forgive you. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you 
as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.